Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply this podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Feeling stuck in your current job? Looking for a career pivot? Are you a proven leader looking to step up? The University of Maryland's Robert H. Smith School of Business prepares students to meet challenges, solve problems, and obtain a profound understanding of how to operate in the modern economy. With MBA and MS programs offering flexible options to fit your lifestyle and goals. GMAT and GRE not required. Learn more today at go.umd.edu slash smithschool. University of Maryland Smith School of Business. Inspired. Fearless. Unstoppable. Laura Bradburn and you are joining us for the Axon Friday Bulletin. Today we see the return of Brian Degnan. How are you doing, Brian? I'm top draw. I'm sunning myself in the southwest of England. Absolutely roasting. Looking forward to finishing work and um, and getting straight to the pub, if I'm honest with you. That's, that's <laughs> as direct and straight honest as I can. That's my Friday plan. We will try and expedite that process as much as we can by getting this uh, show on the road. Uh, joined by another uh, Celtic fan from down south, Alan from Celtic by Numbers. How are you doing, Alan? 
Yeah, similarly a bit of a, a bit of a puddle at the moment, but uh, I do like Brian's plan. It's simple, it's achievable, it's measurable, and I'm, I'm, I'm reckon he's going to smash it. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, yeah, simple is an accusation that's levelled at me quite a lot. <laughs> all about context, Brian. All about context. <laughs> um, Tosh Tokoglu Junior Malone says, "Late today, you might notice we are not in our usual twelve thirty time slot. It is a two pm start for us." today and that is uh, all due to the fact that John Yogi Hughes was laid to rest uh, at St Mary's in the Calton today. Uh, I believe the Mass is perhaps still just finishing at the moment and there will be a, a procession past Celtic Park on a glorious day to send them off, it has to be said. Um, Alan, um, always important to celebrate these uh, big figures in Celtic history, isn't it, and give them, a, give them the send-off that they deserve? Yeah, a guy who you know lived lived the dream and you know nearly five hundred games for Celtic, hundred and eighty nine goals, seventeen trophies. I mean, what a career! I mean, the career we'd all we'd all give give a lot for, right? If we if we could live through that, I, I, I know, I know. Uh, John had a few regrets in terms of he missed the sixty seven final, but was a was a key member of the team that got to that final. Uh, and also, you know, the seventy finally was the centre forward, but but you know that's the nature of the of an alpha male competitive that you know he remembers those things. But let's celebrate all the wonderful achievements and wonderful things he achieved for Celtic. And uh, you know, at the end of the end of the day, more importantly, from all of what I've read and seen from friends and family, just a, a lovely, warm uh, person, and that's what will be remembered. Yeah, Brian, it, it's clear from the way that his family have remembered him and the, the open arms they've given to Celtic fans to be involved in the in remembering him that that Celtic meant a lot to John Hughes as much as John Hughes meant a lot to Celtic. And, um, you know, being part of that Lisbon Lion team, even though he never played in the final on the day in Lisbon, um, it just shows what Celtic fans make of those historical figures that he's as fondly remembered as anybody in that starting lineup. Absolutely, and, and it's not just a, a loss for, for Celtic and for Scottish football, it's a loss for football because, you know, as much as it's important to us as Celtic fans, the Lisbon Lions and their journey is one of the, the best fairy tale stories in, in sporting history. Mm. So it's appropriate that he's remembered so fondly, he's, uh, although he didn't play in the final, but he's been part of that run-up. Um, one of the things I like best, I, I saw one of the quotes from the service, and it was Yogi's son, and he said he didn't. He was talking about how his dad wanted to be remembered, and he said he didn't just want to be remembered for one goal or for one game. He wanted to be known that he was a Celtic man. For dad, being remembered as a Celtic man was the greatest imaginable honour, and I think that's kind of beautiful. And I think it's it's immensely sad when any family member loses another, but I think for his family to look at the turnout and the love for the man. I think it's got to go somewhere uh, sort of celebrating his life and, and, you know, getting through today. So, yeah, massive loss and, and, and it's, yeah, it's always sad when these things happen. Yeah, uh, a massive loss to football, but as we said, an even more massive loss to his family and our thoughts are with them today uh, and as things go on, because as we all know, uh, it's easy to keep yourself busy in like, these situations when when th- when jobs have to be done, things have to be organised. But it's after today that they'll really need everybody's uh, thoughts and support. So thoughts go out to them, and we will do what we are always here to do and talk Celtic, um, as I'm sure he did enjoy doing. So um, we'll move on to um, 
current day topics. One thing I wanted to talk about before we got on to Celtic's current team and performances and things like that. Um, Brian, I'll come to you on this first. Um, couldn't help but notice the, the stories around Kieran Tierney potentially moving to, to Manchester City. And before everybody gets on my back and says he's gone, talk about current Celtic players, it does apply to the current Celtic team at the moment because there is a suggestion that we are still likely to financially benefit from any move of, of Kieran Tierney's. There's talk of a, a £50 million fee for him to, to Manchester City and I'm sure Celtic would be due no small part of that because of our role in his development. I guess the question I've got to ask about that, Brian, is how much of a part of Celtic's growth and their ongoing planning should it be that something like that is is written into most players' contracts when they leave? Like, how important are fees like this going to be to help and sustain the club going forward? Well, I think any income um, to the club is always going to be important, especially for a club the size of Celtic. And I think the, the, the selling fee was maybe 10%, so you're talking five million potentially. Mm-hmm. Um which is, is well, it's nearly a shorter, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Good way to measure it. I like that. <laughs> nearly a shorter. Um, and, and I think that what the interesting thing is, is it just represents good business because if you look at the performances of uh, Kieran down south, even the, the 25 million he went for, it looks like a steal. Mm. So, uh, and, and I know it's hard to talk about Scottish football having value when you look at the performance of Dundee United last night. In the bigger stage, but I think when, how we value players is incredibly important. And I think the fact that he went for 25, he's probably going to go for 50 um, to Man City shows that if we produce players, and the model we've been trying to stick with for so long is develop players, sell them on. But you want to always have that inclusion that because they're going, even if you sell them on from Celtic to another club in Europe or the Premier League, they're going to get a, a decent amount of money. Mm. If you sell on again, the sale on fee could nearly, you know, maybe be about a quarter or, or, or a third of the initial fee. Look at Van Dyke that he went for initially. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it went, when, when Liverpool paid for him from Southampton, you know, it, it's crazy. So I think it's smart business from Celtic. I think it's something we should always be doing. Um, and, and I think probably the way we've went about our business recently with the sort of extended contracts and things like that and the loans with the option to buy, I think we have been a bit a bit cleverer, a bit more canny with how we go about our business. So, mm-hmm. so and, and, you know, Kieran Tierney's a, a club legend. They always will be. And I think that, you know, people are down on him left. And I, I, I wish him all the best. I think he's a great guy. He's a great example of, you know, somebody come through the ranks and, and fair play to him. I think I've been enjoying the Arsenal um, documentary on Amazon now. Oh, yes. Uh, for some reason... I sort of love Arteta and, and Arsenal all of a sudden, but that will fade after about three days. Um, <laughs> but despite my newfound fondness for them, I really hope that he goes to bigger and better things because I think he's, he's more than capable. Yeah, I, I really hope so as well. And um, I have to say, if uh, if Pep Guardiola pulled off an ex- in, in, in a sense a part exchange of Zinchenko for Kieran Tierney, I think he would be pulling a masterstroke off there because I know he'd be getting the upgrade. But... Uh, Alan, it's a, it's a, as Brian says, it's good business, but it's not something that that I think I previously considered as a a key part of our business and and a key part of how we finance the the club going forward. But as time's going on and we're we're seeing players come through and potentially go for these bigger fees, do you think it's a 
is it a reliable form of income for us or is it going to be in just in cases like here in Tierney who's a kind of once in a generation talent um, well I don't think I think it will be something we have to build in I don't think it's, it's income you want to bank on mm. but it's something we should certainly plan for I mean contracts are becoming increasingly more complicated um, there doesn't seem to be any um, sky limit <laughs> I use that you know, pun uh, deliberately in terms of you know, the fees that English clubs certainly are willing to pay for players. So I think especially when you're selling to English clubs, um, I mean, I think the money that we got for Van Dyke almost increased by 50% based on the sell-on fee. So that, I mean, that's, that's an incredible piece of business. So yes, it is hugely important um, that we do it. Now with Kieran Tierney, I'm not sure if there is a sell-on clause or not. Do we know that for sure? Um, it's being rumoured to be the case. I don't have anything uh, specific, uh, but uh, where did I get this from? Glasgow Live was the, the source that I got that there could be a right. potential sell-on fee, so yeah. No, the reason I'm a little bit doubtful is because I believe when Celtic sold Tierney, what was very unusual about that deal was they managed to secure, I think, virtually all of the £25 million up front, which, okay. which is quite unusual. N- normally fees are split into three chunks, uh, you know, uh, 40 40, 30, 30 over three um, three years or three windows even. And it just eases cash flow for clubs and every, virtually every transfer uh, does that. So I, 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 I think the benefit to Celtic was in getting the 25 million up front. I, I would, therefore, would have been surprised if in addition there was a sell-on fee, but I'm happy to be corrected on that one. But one thing to realise is that it, um, it, Celtic, for every time Kieran Tierney moves clubs, Celtic mm-hmm. will always get a percentage of that deal under FIFA regulations anyway, uh, all the way down to, I think, his, it, it, any club that he had a, a contract with will get some kickback from any transfer fee. That's just the way um, football transfers work now. It's all part of FIFA regulations to try and distribute some some of the wealth. Ho, ho. So uh, yeah. so there'll always, there'll always be an element of that anyway. But no, absolutely, it has to be, it has to be a, a key model, and especially when we're dealing with, with English clubs because of just the insanity. Uh, of the of the market there, yeah. Just to clarify that, the um for anybody who wants to see, it's um Ben Banks for Glasgow Live who wrote Celtic in the Mega Money Tierney sell on clause that could make the millions. And later on in the passage, he does say, when moving south in a twenty five million pound deal from Celtic, the hoops inserted a fifteen percent sell on clause into the deal. Now I don't know where he's got that information from, but you know, going by his. Uh, hopeful uh, journalistic integrity has got that from a source somewhere that he feels confident to put it in so um, like you said Alan the, the fact that we got the, the money up front that we did get it does surprise but please me if there is also a 15% sell on clause there that we mm. can rely on so we remain to see if that's the case. Um, thanks everybody for commenting and watching um, just uh, make sure that you keep commenting wherever you're watching Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitch, Twitter um, and YouTube obviously um, so just a couple of comments coming in about Yogi um, uh, Joe Hamilton says farewell Yogi, absolute legend of a man uh, rest in peace Yogi from Michael Ross and an interesting one there from Pete McGee who says Yogi wasn't just a legend, he was a totally unique one which I think everybody agrees with Tosh Coglin Malone says, where is Jim? Uh, if you're familiar with Jim's um, timetable from last season, he'll be keeping that up this season. He does a bi-weekly show. So he was on last week, he'll be on next week and that'll be the way he's proceeding with the going forward. But uh, listen to us here while he's not here and I'm sure we'll talk even a, a little bit of sense uh, in comparison to Jim, hopefully, um, and <laughs> see, see how we go on with that. Um, 
we'll, we'll move on to um, looking at um, Leal Abada was another thing we thought we would discuss. Obviously, he scored a vital goal against Ross County last week to kind of secure the victory. That third goal, it was a, it was an outstanding, uh, an outstanding goal, and he seems to be providing a lot of um, impact coming off the bench. I guess the question I have, and Alan, I'll come to you on this first and see if you can hopefully provide us any stats to to pr- prove. Uh, prove me right or otherwise but there's a bit of me that thinks uh, that he might be a, a useful option going straight in from the starting lineup, even though he has been so effective off the bench. Does that usually follow through with players or, or and in his case do you think he would be a, a suitable option from the start or are you quite happy with him being used in the fashion that he's been used at the moment? Yeah so um a couple of things there to kind of unpack. So first, first the sort of issue of, of players coming off the bench versus starting. So mm. I've actually been doing, doing a bit of work on this very topic this week. Excellent. And there's an, there's an I thought I would chance it there, but yeah, thank yeah, you. Know, yeah, you probably wouldn't have done that because the article's not out yet. So that, was, that wasn't that was staged, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. That was, that was genuinely a, a surprise. So yeah, it'll be on the Celtic way, I think, either today or tomorrow. Um, and, and then I read a, a really interesting piece, and I'm sorry I can't credit the um, the, the, the person on Twitter, one of the, one of the sort of Analysts that I follow um, making the point that actually, um, I'm sorry, this is getting a little bit technical in a data sense, but just bear with me. <laughs> what we what we normally do is we um, measure all data on a per 90 minute basis, and that equalizes out the fact that some players play full games, some players come on as subs, some players get taken off, etc. So if you add up all their minutes, divide it by 90, and then look at their stats and, and work it out on how, how, how many on a 90-minute basis. You, you kind of normalise all that out and everyone's on a level playing field. Mm-hmm. But actually, what, what this article was saying is it's not um, it's not a level playing field. And the reason for that is that um, if you play, generally speaking, goals, the, the, the chance of a goal being scored goes up at the, the, the further a match goes on. Because if you think about it logically, teams get tired, etc. space opens up and so forth. So goals increasingly are scored in the second half of games and increasingly towards the end of the game. So actually, if, you, if you're always coming on as a substitute, you've actually got a better chance of scoring than if you'd started the game. Oh, and I think, okay. Yeah, so I think, A, that's a really important point for people to remember when they say, oh, we should drop Kyogo and we should drop uh, Maida because they haven't scored against Ross County. It's like, well, yeah, but they did run them ragged for sixty minutes, mm. and then the, the others came on and had had a bit of space to work. And you got to you got to think of it in those sort of terms. Um, so in terms of Abada, Abada is actually one of the players who does really well when he comes on and off the bench. In fact, most of Postacoglu's signings have got a, a better expected goals and a better expected assist rates when they come on as a sub than they do uh, when they start. And if you think about it, that's logical. It's not it's not surprising. It's not saying they're better off the bench. It's just the fact that. Celtic, but in particular because of the financial, uh, you know, strength they have relative to the league, can bring on very strong players off the bench uh, in, late in games, and, and I think we'll see this season. We've already seen, you know, seventy-five minute get, uh, get goal against Aberdeen to sort of kill that off, and then two goals in the last ten minutes against Ross County. Teams can set up really well, can be really well organised, but when you're bringing quality players off the bench, and you can bring five of them, you can essentially replace half your outfield players. Then it's very difficult. For that to teams to defend that when there's a, when there's a such a quality gap. So to answer you, come back to come back to Abada. Uh, I, I don't particularly um, think that he's any more or less effective coming off the bench, but the stats might say he is for the reasons that I've said. Mm. But what I, what I, what I do continue to be surprised about is is that is that people don't understand the value that he brings because his performance numbers are actually very spectacular. And he's probably one of the top five attacking talents for his age mm. in, Euro- in Europe. 
I, I, that, I, for a 20-year-old. There's not many 20-year-olds play for a club like Celtic, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, his, his underlying numbers were, in fact, his, his, his expected goals and assists were fractionally higher than Jota's last season. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, now what, where I think is a, there's a perception bias that kicks in with Abada versus, for example, Jota, because it's, it's an interesting counterpoint, is that Jota's one of these players that gets on the ball a lot he tries a lot of crosses, a lot of runs, and a lot of shots. And the the total the total volume of all his output is mightily impressive, even if the average per event isn't necessarily that high. Whereas Abada, I think there's two things about Abada that I think colour people's perceptions of him. One is the fact that he, he doesn't get on the ball nearly as much as Jota does. And the second is that he does some things quite badly that we traditionally would want a winger to do well, and that's counterintuitive to us. So, mm. you know, he, he's not great at taking a player on. His crossing is a little bit spotty, uh, you know. So, and uh, it's but but what um, but the reason the way he counters this, and if you, I would recommend. I'm, I'm actually quoting here from an article that uh, Duco James did in the Celtic Way a couple of days ago. Okay, he did an excellent piece on Abada, so I recommend you look at that. Mm-hmm. Is that is that when a badder does get into a good position and he and he does have a successful cross or he does have a, a shot, it tends to be of very high quality. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what he does well, he does really, really well. Uh, and, and some of the things he does badly, you sort of think, well, I expect a winger to be good at that. So, I think for those reasons, people sort of look at a badder and go, oh, he's a bit, you know, he's a bit inconsistent and so forth. But in totality, his underlying numbers are no worse than than, than Jota's actually. And in fact, in domestic games, I would argue. He's probably more effective than Maeda, because uh, his attacking output is so much is so much greater. Where, where again, and this is a point that James, that James made, so I'm not going to take credit for this. But where what, his opinion, which I would agree with, is that if you look at Europe and you see Maeda's got much more effective pressing and defensive statistics, you you, you could argue that actually you, you're better to play a, a player like Maeda in European games than you would uh, the likes of Abada, who's defensively not. Not as strong, so a, a lot to unpack there. But that mm. that would be that would be my thoughts. My thoughts, and as I say, I've borrowed a lot there from James. I'll hold my hand up there, but I do agree with 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 the points he made because they were, they were well researched. Yeah, some interesting points there. Pete McGee says he thinks Abada has been underrated by a lot of people, and he thinks he's near top class and will only get better as he matures. Brian, it's it's a difficult thing to. Um, get your head around especially if he is only making fleeting appearances here and there but he, even if he does have a great impact when he comes on what, what's your opinion on Abada and his current um, sort of place in the team do you think he deserves more time on the pitch more uh, more delivery of the ball because um, I, I do think to, to pick up on what Alan, Alan said not only does Jota see more of the ball, I think we focus more of our play through Jota, so it's perhaps why he sees more of the ball. What do you think of Abada? Should we be appreciating him more? Should they be getting more time on the pitch? Well, I think we should be appreciating him. I think he's an excellent talent. And I mm. think that, and I think, you know, I'll sit it right in the head there. I think he's not the traditional winger. And neither's Maida. And that's mm. why they don't want with Jota is really interesting. You know, I won't stoke up the Jota left or Jota right argument again, but. You can see, depending, you've always got this kind of traditional winger and then Abada or traditional winger in Maeda. Mm. What I think is important is I don't think Ange has starters and subs. I think he has this, this squad and I think there'll be a certain amount of games Abada's going to start, there'll be a certain amount of Maeda's going to start. 
I think it'll be fairly evenly rotated, to be honest. Mm. I don't think he's got like a, a strongest 11 necessarily. I think there's probably like a strong a core that are undroppable. So I think like CCV, Cal McGregor, Jota, um, they're, they're certainly the, the undroppables, I think, they're hard to replace. Yeah. Everyone else, I think, will rotate throughout the season. So I think you, you see plenty of a bad starting. And, and again, as I've said, I think there'll be times where I mean, if you're a defender and you've had Maeda chasing you and harrying you and you've been trying to run after Kyogo for 60 minutes and Ada Bada comes on, mm-hmm. his pace and his directness, it's not a conversation you want to have, you know? Um, fuck that. And if you've got Yakimaka starting and he's battering defenders for an hour and then Kyogo comes on and they need to start chasing him, that's a nightmare as well. So I, I almost think the sort of starters versus subs argument, I, I don't think it holds much water because I think that throughout the season... You, they're leaving itself out because I don't think Anne sees it that way um, and see apart for the, the sort of three or four I mentioned as being key I think most other players in squad will rotate Yeah Mal McCann uh, on YouTube's commenting exactly the same Abada will get plenty of time with the amount of games coming up as will most of the squad so it's uh, I guess to come back to you Alan on that one um, I think what Brian's saying there as well as what you were saying about altering our expectations and our, our view of what a winger does, maybe we need to alter our expectations and our view of what the squad is and what a what a lineup is. Because as, as Brian says, we've got a manager who is fostering a squad mentality and not necessarily necessarily a mentality that says this is my strongest eleven and the rest of you come in to replace them when required. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I mean, I'm trying to uh, coach myself to be a, an experienced Ange watcher, and, and what I feel is that he won't make changes to the lineup if he doesn't have to or doesn't feel that it's justified. So, in in the current situation where we've got one game a week, I don't expect to see many changes in the starting lineup. Assuming everyone is playing well, he's not going to rotate people for the sheer hell of it. I don't believe he'll he'll always play as what he thinks is is the the, the strongest team in that sense. You know, and not just change people just because to give somebody a game, um, because uh, I, I, the way he would look at it is that the, tr- the you know a week of training with no interruption for travelling and and playing a game midweek uh, means that everyone's getting plenty of you know uh, intensity into the legs anyway. So um, I wouldn't expect many changes in injuries, uh, obviously you being the major factor. Uh, when we get into playing two games a week and we start playing in the Champions League, uh, then I think it might be a little bit different. It might be a little bit more nuanced some of the uh, some of the formations that we play. But, but yeah, he's not. A, long story short, right? I don't believe he's a tinkerer. Mm, I, I don't believe so either. He certainly knows, seems to know his own mind, and uh, and and goes with it. And it'll be interesting to see. Brian, just before we move on to the next topic, what what do you make of what Alan said there and what what he was picking up from James about about the Maeda discussion? Do you think there's a there's an argument to say that maybe if he's defensively stronger, we should go with him in Europe and and Abada domestically, or, or where do you stand on that particular argument? Yeah, I think it, it seems pretty clear, right? Because it's the same reason I think that Yakimakis will score more goals in Cuba this season. Mm-hmm. It's because I think Cuba is going to feature more in Europe against the, the sort of harder teams, whereas I think Yakimakis will play more domestically and then by extension be facing sort of weaker defences. And I think the reason for that is, in my it's the same. It's that pressing and that pace because as well as me, they've been able to defend for the front. He's also great to have in the counter-attack because he's so fast. Um, and I think Hugo's the exact same. So I, I think that's spot on, actually. that That's what I would do if I was 
in, in charge. that would be, but if I was in charge, um, I, I would expect that sort of defensive front three. Yeah. We can also counter-attack efficiently. Um, whereas domestically, you don't need to worry about that quite as much. Mm. Um, do, you, do you expect that to go hand-in-hand hand with a change in shape in Europe, given that we've only seen him play one system so far? I don't think... So I think there's a new distinction between like system, tactics and approach. Okay. And I don't think, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I don't think if he decides to play a, a 3-5-2, that's altering the system in any way. I think the system is still high press, um, you know, sort of counter-pressing, attacking, etc. So I don't think a formation change negates a system change. Okay. And I think his approach to any game is going to be the same. I think he may pick the team slightly differently depending on the opposition but I don't think again he's going to change his approach and I don't think the system changes I don't see why he would change the formation if I'm honest mm-hmm. it seems to sort of fit how he, he's always been you, you could maybe imagine he goes three sort of four three but again if you if you take any snapshot throughout a game how many times is everyone actually in a four three three sort of standard shape it's yeah. very staggered. It's a lot interchanging. It does move around a lot. So I think the, the system versus tactics argument is, is sort of different. I don't think that it's a 4-4-2, 4-3-3, whatever. I don't think it really affects how we'll play or the way we'll play. So I don't imagine we've changed that for Europe is the, the sort of short answer. Yeah. Um, Alan, you touched on it just before I asked Brian about that, expecting maybe to see some slight changes. Are you talking more in terms of shape for that or or approach to the game, given the distinction Brian was making between tactics and, and system there? Yeah, no, I think um, I was nodding away to myself there with what everything Brian was saying, very you know, very astute in terms of I wouldn't get too hung up on... on ta- I mean, clearly, if you're going to go to a back three, that's a very different... Way of setting up, and I don't think we're going to do that. Um, would we? Would we? Would we change intrinsic approach? No, right. He's going to go after teams, uh, be on the front foot, try and attack them, try and press them, etc. That isn't going to change. Any changes as such will be quite subtle ones, as we've seen, and and, and he has 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 made. It might be it might be that you you play somebody like a an Aaron Moy in there with McGregor just to get a little bit more control on the game, possibly. Mm-hmm. But then again, you know, possibly not. Uh, I think it would be interesting. I think you probably will pick Maeda if he's fit, simply because of his ability to press, uh, cons- you know, and to, to put in the number of sprints and pressures and counter pressures that he does. And at that level, that's going to be quite quite key. So, th- I think it'll be those sort of considerations, those slight little adjustments. It won't be anything fundamental. It certainly won't be. Um, changing, you know, parking the bus or dropping into a narrow four four two or anything like that. No, no way. I mean, I think Postico is very much of the sort of BLs a school of, if you know, if if what we do, if what we're doing is failing, we're not doing it well enough. We need to try harder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally agree with that. And we'll uh, we'll come back to Moy in a wee minute. Cause I know Brian, you've got something you wanted to ask Alan from a from a statistical point of view to see if it, it goes with with your eye test. So we'll come back to that. You made that sound like you were setting up a proposal there. <laughs> you, you I don't yeah. even know where to take that one, to be honest. So we'll just move on swiftly. Um, but uh, thanks, everybody, for commenting and everything. I forgot to say at the start of the show, please like and subscribe uh, on the channel. Like the video and subscribe on the channel because it really helps us get out there. We've seen a, 
quite a big upturn in, in, um, in subscribers. And I think if we haven't already passed it, we're very fast approaching 20,000 subscribers, which is insane. So uh, thank you to everybody who's already done that. And if you haven't, it costs you nothing and it's just a click of a button and you'll get notified every time we go live. Um, so that would really be appreciated by everybody who's involved with the podcast. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Brian, I'll move over to you then. The, the Aaron Moy question is is something that you brought up, but you were mentioning uh, before we came on air that you know the the perception of him and the the way you feel he is as a midfielder is two slightly different things. Yeah, so I, I saw a bit. Of, I'm not going to go back to this question. Is a good sign or not? I saw people getting quite excited about that, but people seem to think he's cover for McGregor and he's going to play that sort of deeper role and. So if you look at a, a rotation, so say you've got McGregor, Hitati, O'Reilly, then the second would be Turnbull, say Gucci and Moy. And I, I don't, I don't see Moy as that sort of. I mean, he could maybe play a pivot, but I don't see him as that number six. Certainly not as cover for McGregor. Mm. And I'm just curious where Al sees him, and if he doesn't see, if it means mean he doesn't see them sitting there, how essential is it that we get someone to replace McGregor? Because for me. There's no one in the squad can do what McGregor can do based mm. on that role. I think McCarthy's decent as a sort of ball winner and spoiler, but that doesn't fit our team, although it's the yeah. same position. Gucci, I've not seen enough about. I, I So far, I kind of seem hugely impressed. So I'm just wondering, does Moy fit there? And if he doesn't, you know, do you, what's your thoughts on that position? Yeah, that an interesting question, Alan, just because um, I think... We've all been crying out for a, a central defensive midfielder and I think some supporters out of, I don't know whether it's desperation or anything, at, at the fact we might not get one in are trying to slot different midfielders that we have into that position. So it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts, as Brian says, on, on how suitable any of our midfield choices, but Moy specifically, are for that or whether you think we need somebody who's more specialist in that role to come in. Yeah, I mean, listen, and I've not seen a huge amount of, of Aaron Moy, but uh, looking at his kind of career to date, um, he's played as a number six, and this is according to Transfer Market, who track player positions over their careers. I don't know how accurate it is, but you know, he's played roughly sort of twenty, well, twenty six matches in his career as a defensive midfielder, and that's really, you know, you're talking a game here, a game there, over and over his whole career. I think seven games in the A-League about 10 years ago is the most in any one season, according to this, that he played as a number six. So it's less easily less than 10% of his time. So to, to me, in terms of his career, 
you know, he's he's a number eight, right? And he and he has been a number eight. He's not he's not you wouldn't classify him as a ten in terms of right up up behind the striker. He's more of a, a sort of box to box type, um, you know, midfielder in that sense. And if you look at his defensive stats across his career, um, and I'm sort of referring to FB ref here, which use stats bomb data, um, the number is his defensive actions are predominantly in the middle third and in the and the opponent's final third, not in the defensive third. So there's no evidence historically in his career he does a lot of action, has a lot of activity in that in that defensive third. So long story short, you know, is is what are his strengths? His strengths are his, his range of passing, really, is his biggest strength. So I think that he's he's a, he's a different type of number eight than probably what we've got in that sense. I think he, he was I suspect he was probably seen as a safe option by Postico, somebody he knew, he knew what the strengths and weaknesses were. And it was a body just to fill out the the squad. I suspect because he's not had a club for a little while that you know it'll take a while for him to get up to speed. Um, and so we won't see a lot of him in the short term, I don't think. Um, and so, therefore, my conclusion is that we still have a, a massive risk that if you know McGregor gets injured, we really do have nobody that can really fill that role on an equal basis. Because as, as you rightly said, McCarthy is excellent as a as a purely defensive destroyer. Is is he's probably the best at simply doing that specific set of things very well in the Celtic squad. But he's he's nowhere close to being the type of midfielder that I think Postacov needs in, in that uh, in that system and using the approach that we uh, that we have. So big gap. And I think, you know, my understanding is we're still looking. Uh, I think we're looking for two more, one one being a defensive mid and one being someone that can probably play quite flexibly across the front. Um, so uh, hopefully that will happen. Just when you mentioned stats bomb there, I thought you were talking about the messages you put in the group chat whenever any of us are watching a game and mentioned something that we noticed only for you to go on and prove that we didn't know keep, what we were keep, talking about. Keep you right, yeah, keep you right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating stuff. I, I, I just always love the contrast between the perception of players and then what, what you find when you look at the data and obviously one informs the other, but it's, uh, it's just always fascinating to talk about. Brian, it's... It, I guess to to take on board what Alan said there about Aaron Moy, um, does that inform you a little bit more on what you see his role being in the team going forward this season? Do you think he's got a major role to play or will he be a kind of stopgap filler to, to, to finish out games the way he has been the first few games of the season? I suspect he's probably someone that yeah can sort of stabilise the midfield a little bit. Um, as I say, he's different from the other midfielders we've got, but he is still a very, very good passer of the ball. And I think he, he's a good player to have. I think he's a no-risk signing. Um, and Postacog knows what he's going to get from him. Um, I don't imagine he'll start often, but you, you don't need that. I think he's the type of player who can control games. Um, so so it'll be interesting, I think, that they needed cover for you know Hitati Mieda. Eh, eh, Hitati O'Reilly, sorry. I think on Moy, while different players do provide creative options off the bench that they have, so so I think it's good signing, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing more of them. Yeah, I think he, I think he might be. I think uh, whose news agrees with you says his first game looked a bit shaky. Second game never made a mistake. More decisive, nice touch on the ball and moved it into feet quickly. And I don't think you can ever complain about what um what some people might describe as a tidy footballer. Sometimes it's used a bit disparagingly, but I think in in the case of of Celtic, um, it's something we've not had enough of and um, can certainly help us see out games. We'll go on to talking about the, the Ross County game in a second and look ahead to obviously 
the next game at the weekend, which I believe, if I just double check, that is um, uh, Kilmarnock at Rugby Park um, on Sunday at twelve o'clock. So, but before we do that, um, Juranovic, and I'll come to you on this, um, Brian. The the transfer talk about Juranovic is not going away. This time it's Man United that has um, been uh, linked with him. Why he would want to go to that um, circus of a club at the moment, I'm not entirely sure. I can only imagine there's one reason you would go to Man United at the moment and it's got something to do with the colour green in a slightly different way. But um, yeah, he's been linked with a move to Old Trafford and obviously has been linked with moves to other significant uh, significant clubs in Europe uh, over the summer and yet here we are in August, two games into the season and still have them. Um, I guess the question I want to ask you, Brian, is do you think we can hold on to him? And if so, do you think it's a good thing for Celtic to hold on to him in the meantime? So it depends on the player. If the player wants to go, he's going to go. And I think mm-hmm. post I don't think he'll make any attempt to hold on to him if he tells him he's going to go. I think he's been quite clear. If you're, I think I, I can't remember where the quote came from, but he's, he basically said, they were asking about keeping players happy and he says, well, they're at Celtic. I'm not happy to be Celtic. They can find someone else and be happy. So mm. I don't imagine if Juranovic knocks his door and says, Gaffer, I want to leave, that he'll block it. So depending on the player. Um, I don't, so this is where me and Al have been getting on quite well today. He's, he's sort of backed up points I've made, which is always nice to be vindicated. But this is probably where he, he rinches me for, for being an idiot. But <laughs> I, um, I don't think... And this is testament to Ralston, but I don't think there's a huge drop-off in quality from Juranovic to Ralston at this stage. I okay. actually think, you know, if we could get... So I saw 15 million quoted, and I've got an issue with that, which we can come to in a second, but if we were to lose him, get a good chunk of money in and find another right-back, I would still be confident that if Ralston starts a game, I'd be fairly, fairly happy. I think Juranovic is a better player, and I think he's better at a lot of things. I think he's, he's much better interceptor of the ball for what I've seen. But I do think Ralston's got really good qualities and I think he's a very good crosser. Maybe a bit inconsistent, but when he gets it right, it's good. So I don't think there's a massive drop-off. And if we could offer something in the region of 20-25 million, which for a Croatian international at 26 years old is about to play in the Champions League mm. in a four-year deal is not a lot of money to ask for, especially if it's a Man United who paid 85 million for Harry Maguire. I think we can be confident of getting a lot more than 15 million. And if we get something in the 20-plus mark, I think we would take it, um, especially if the player wants to go. So, so I'll over to you to rinse me for... <laughs> before, I, before I do that and before he, before he rinses you, I'm going to say you've got at least you've got at least one supporter. Stevie Boy says with Ralston playing as well as he is, if they brought in another right-back, I can see he's selling JJ for megabucks, which I presume was the... The, the disparaging remark you made about the 15 million and as an aside by the way I could do a whole podcast on this Harry Maguire is the worst professional football I've ever seen in my life but <laughs> we'll talk about that another time um, Alan what do you make of what Brian said there about Juranovic because I have to say I'm of the opinion that I don't think he's completely irreplaceable either Um but I would think for his career and for the benefit of Celtic at least because the World Cup is at Christmas, it might behoove both of us if he stays at Celtic until Christmas, until the Qatar World Cup's out of the way and maybe moves on in January. But to go back to the point that, that, that Brian made, is he is he a particularly irreplaceable player for you or do you think there's a 
do you think there's a, a an ability to send them on without losing too much? Yeah, no, nobody's irreplaceable. It's that simple. True. They're, they're really not. Um, so just, 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 a, just a wee quick one on Harry Maguire. So, because I, I live in Sheffield, I do go and see Sheffield United sometimes, and I, I watched Harry Maguire when Blades were in uh, League One, and I just thought he's a big unit. You know, he heads the ball away, but yeah. oh, that was about it. To be honest, I can <laughs> absolutely astonished the trajectory his uh, career took. But anyway, sorry to get back to your point. Um, listen, I'm not. I'm going to disappoint Brian a little bit in the sense that I'm, I'm not. I, th- I think he's absolutely spot on. Actually, so one of the challenge, one of the challenges that uh, I've had, and I'd actually is is I can normally and have normally been able to articulate through data a player's strengths and weaknesses relative to each other. What I've found almost impossible <laughs> is to articulate why Juranovic is a better player than Ralston. Okay. Because I just, I just don't have the data evidence to back that up. This is what it feels like to be the rest of us, Alan. This is what it's like. <laughs> but but there's, there's a but. There is a but. I've started. The, there's a couple of new bit. Again, I don't want to get too in, into the weeds in this, but there's a couple of metrics that I've started collecting around. And 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 Brian hit the nail on the head when he mentioned interceptions. Mm. I think I think the main difference between Ralston and Juranovic is um, Juranovic's ability to uh, probably just read the game a little bit quicker and to react physically a little bit quicker. He just moves across the ground. Quicker. Rawson's not the most agile um, player physically, um, and I think Juranovic's ability, as, as Brian said, to intercept, to, to turn over the ball and force turnovers through closing down that little bit quicker. I think that's the differentiator because if you look at all of the other um, stats, especially Rawson's a far more creative fullback, far mm. more creative. He's far better at crossing. His expected assist rate, the actual assist, far far stronger. Um, you know, even his ability to pass the ball through the lines is far better than than Juranovic. He's more of a goal threat from open play than than Juranovic. Um, and defensively, there, there really isn't a lot between them in terms of the defensive metrics. So it's one of the big challenges is, to me is to work out why why would Juranovic be considered, you know, a, a sort of a big star, big name, and, and, and Rolson be kind of looked down upon? Because I just can't see it in the data at all. Right, I think so if it was called Ralstovic, it might be a different. Uh, <laughs> so, 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 yeah. So, I'm still not convinced Ralston, you know, scales well you know, against European level opposition. If I'm honest, and it does come down to that basic pace. I think you know that's true in both fullback positions. So, if if we um, if we did sell Juranovic, and let's be honest, 26 going on 27. If we get you know optimal price, um... mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. For, for, for him, then, then we should cash in. That, that's the model. That has to be the model. Uh, and providing we can go out and get a sensible uh, alternative to, to replace him with. Because... The, the the price that Celtic should be asking for defenders 
um, is now being uh, set by the likes of, if you look at Doig's move, if mm. you look at Calvin Ramsey's move, if you look at Calvin Bassey's move, you know, the benchmark for the cost of SPFL defenders has gone up and up and up. So, mm. you, you know, we should be asking a, a significant amount of money uh, for Juranovic. He's, he's, he's got a long contract. Uh, Etc. And he's moving into his prime years. So to me, he, he would be a very valuable asset, but it's not one that I would be devastated. Uh, and providing we recruit us carefully, and, and thus far, Postecoglou's record seems quite good. I'd be hopeful we'd be able to replace him quite quite effectively. Yeah, try as you might, Brian. You can't get Alan to disagree with you today. <laughs> I'm talk- what, what a Friday this is tonight. We're talking far too much sense, but I have to pull you both up. Paddy Lavery's not happy. He says, are Alan and Brian both wearing blue tops in a Celtic podcast? I don't so even what? know. If, is that a blue top, Alan? I, I, I don't even know. You could have got away with it's that. It's very, one. it's very, very dark blue. It's. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you one, Paddy, because any dark top can hide a multitude of sins. <laughs> 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 Amen to that, yeah. No, I'll go go with that. Um, No, we'll move on to just, before we look at the game against Kilmarnock at the weekend, Alan, I'll come back to you to start with on Ross County. Um, I came in for a bit of stick last week on the the post-match coverage for saying that I thought the 3-1 victory, or the 3-1 scoreline, I should say, flattered us a bit. Now, I did think we deserved to probably win the match, but I thought that... um, Ross County held their own for the majority of the match and were maybe unlucky to 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 suffer as heavy a defeat as they did. Now the the methods they went about doing that are are for up for discussion certainly, but um, but they they certainly gave us a, a bit of a tough time. How did the the stats and things reflect that for you? Was it as close a match as I maybe felt it was, or was it a little bit more decisive than that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, you know, I remember, or at least trying to watch the game <laughs> as best as I could, um, not being not being too kind of concerned um, because I, I, you know we were creating chances. That's really that's really what it comes down to. If we're creating chances and we're missing them, I'm not too worried. If we're not creating chances, then I tend to get get really concerned. Um, and actually, this was yet another game. Um, if you look at expected goals. I had it at Celtic around about 2.68 and Ross County about 0.31. So that's a 2.3 uh, expected goal difference. Now, based on Celtic's run over the last year and what, what we now, how many games is it now? 34, 33, mm-hmm. 34, undefeated. What has been a, a real feature of that run is the consistency that we've achieved and the gap between the, the quality of the chances we're giving up versus the quality of the chances that we're creating. And we're, and we're in this nice little spot where... We are um, habitually uh, about 1.5 to 2 xG uh, better than the opposition in every game, mm-hmm. and if you if you if you and if you do that in every game, you, you might lose one. You, you you always have a bad day. You know, things can happen in football, etc. But you're reducing variance quite considerably by creating that many more chances or quality chances, sorry, uh, than the opposition. So um, I, I wasn't concerned. For that, for that reason, I could see that we were creating the chances. And the second is just to come back to that point about substitutes. I mean, if you've got, if you're bringing on those quality of substitutes against Ross County, they must be, you know, tearing the hair up. Because what we've seen is, even with Aberdeen on the first day, I thought both Aberdeen and Ross County did a really good job at containing Celtic. I thought they were both well-organised, well-disciplined sides. I think they'll both have good seasons in the SPFL. Um, but what they couldn't cope with is being harassed and harassed and harassed for 60, 70 minutes. Then you bring the subs on. And, and it's almost when you get the ball, it's like you're too tired to think what to do with it. Mm. And, it's, and it's that aspect. That's why Celtic 
have still not conceded a goal, have conceded one goal beyond the 70th minute in that 34 match run, one goal beyond the 70th minute, and that was Dylan Levitt's 35 yarder into the top corner, which does happen sometimes, right? Uh, for Dundee United in, in, on the day that we uh, clinched the title. And, and I think the reason for that is just because the intensity that the starting 11 put into it, you know, the, the other team, and then you add in the five subs, which I think is, I, 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 I honestly think like the five sub thing is just going to make it far more difficult for the rest of the league to beat the top two. It's just going to make it really, really hard. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm not sure it's a good thing for the competitiveness of the league, frankly. But you know, yeah. we got we got to live with what we've got. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. Obviously, the the more resources you have to build a bigger squad, uh, you're going to be able to take advantage of that if you're Celtic or Rangers compared to the other players. Um, Brian, before I ask you about Ross County, I've just realised that the strap says why Celtic must keep Josip Juranovic. I think it's pretty obvious to everybody watching that neither of the three of us came up with that strap. That was Paul John. So if we're if we're roundly sacked by the end of this podcast, you'll know why. Um, but uh, he obviously disagrees with us on, on Juranovic. But I hope to see him here until at least January anyway. But um, Brian, Ross County... I think the phrase, it was a hard watch, comes into mind, especially regarding the first half. Do you expect to see a lot of that going forward this season? A lot of teams treating us the way Ross County treated us, or even worse, kind of parking the bus in a way that makes it very, very difficult for us to break them down? I do expect it, um, but I kind of I kind of disagree in terms of the performance, because I think it was... They were, it was a low block. I didn't really feel we were in danger at any point. I thought it was total domination. Um, it was just, it's that thing with Celtic, and it's you're almost looking for things to complain about. I think, no, you personally, I just mean in general, Celtic fans, because I think we can be a wee bit wasteful with mm-hmm. chances. As I'll say, they were creating them so often. And I think if you look at, so we, we're playing a really stubborn defence, low block, sitting in tight. This time last season when we caught against that, it was a, a draw or a defeat at Livingston, remember? Mm-hmm. We, we've improved at that side of things. And then even if you saw it, it's time went on. Teams were still doing the same thing, sitting in, trying to get this kind of roughhouse tactics to try and disrupt the play and stuff like that. I, I, I think we're going, we know what we're up against. And I think mm-hmm. we just playing our game until it happens. And the thing about it is, when you're in a low block and you can't get out, you're still getting tired because you're still having to mark that movement. And you look at, you know, Hitati... Maeda and Taylor on that left. Who are you marking there? If you're mm. there right back, I mean you're all over the place. So even within them sitting back, they're going to get tired. They're going to lose concentration. And when they make mistakes to give the ball away, it's deadly for them. Mm. And given the fact is, is I'll say I do agree with the five subs. By the way, I, I, I'm not a fan, but we can bring on five players of quality and then start it over again. So as soon as we start even drop off, get a bit tired, or maybe lack a bit of creativity, change half the team and go again for the last half hour. Mm. So I, I think, to be honest, I, I think that, I mean, almost, I think I only saw the first half. I think I was saying the rest of the country, I only saw the first half of the Ross County game, but I, I thought we were total control. Uh, I never, the frustration that I would normally get watching a team I was against the low block wasn't there because I had the faith that actually at some point with one thing and we're going to score in, with the guys we've got, I mean, Everybody knows I absolutely love Jota, I love O'Reilly, and I think the guys as creative as that. Mm. Come up with something special. You've got the movement of Kyogo. I mean, he's, he took his, the, the goal exceptionally well. Um, so, you know, I have to slightly disagree. I thought we were in total control, and frustration didn't really kick in for me. 
Um, mm. Don't get me wrong, if it's eight or nine minutes against Kilmarnock and it's not each, I may be starting yelling at the screen, but as it is, I'm pretty comfortable and I think I think we know what we have to do to, to, to break that. Sorry, Laura, to interrupt. Just one, just one other point uh, which doesn't often affect professional football is that um, you know, I, I'm involved in a lot with grassroots football. When it's a windy day, it has a massive impact on the, the game for the kids, mm. even even older kids, 15, 16, etc. But in professional football, wind usually doesn't impact the game too much. But it, it did it did on uh, on, sat- on Saturday for me because uh, what was happening, especially in the first half, was that if Livingston got anything on a clearance, a header, uh, any sort of clearance, which was literally going the length of the pitch and you were having to start back again with Joe mm. Hart, and then you couldn't play any any ball with any height on it forward. It was just it, would, it was just like a, a night like a beach ball in the in the wind sort of thing. Um, I mean, there was actually one one moment when Celtic almost scored because their keeper misjudged uh, a, a high ball and he, and he landed behind him sort of thing. So it, it, it can impact the defence, but less so when you're playing that low that low block. So I do I do feel a little bit mitigating some of the quality of the play. I think the wind had a massive uh, a massive say on proceeding. I mean, it does spoil football in general, wind. So, uh, so I wouldn't normally say that, um, but I think I think on that particular day, it did, it did have a huge huge impact. I can I can vouch for the fact that wind spoils football if you've ever had a pie at halftime at Celtic Park, but we'll not, uh, we'll not go down that road. Um, <laughs> speaking of pies, actually, what a segue, by the way. We're going back to we're going back to Rugby Park. Thank you. That wasn't even on purpose, but I'll take it. Back to Rugby Park tomorrow, um, or sorry, Sunday for um, the return of Kilmarnock, who have come back up from the championship. Um, Brian, I'll come to you first. It's a I wouldn't want to say a bogey ground for us, but it's certainly one that we we do struggle from time to time, regardless of this the the standard of the Kilmarnock team. Um, do you have any concerns about going back there, or is it just is it one of these things that just as a football fan it gets in your head and you actually need to to rid yourself of it? Where where are you standing? Is there any apprehension about going back to Rugby Park for you? I suppose the only thing would be the they're still using the plastic pitch, aren't they? Mm. And that that that's probably the the concern because you're always worried about injuries on that pitch. Um, interestingly, with Derek McInnes, I think he's actually a, a, a decent sort of. SPL, SPFL manager, but maybe I'm wrong here, but I'm sure he tries to man mark Celtic and it's never successful. Mm. Like Aberdeen, it was never, they never really done anything against us. And I think trying to man mark this Celtic team is, is it reminds me of the, the story of Barry Robson trying to mark Messi. You know, <laughs> we played, uh, played uh, Barcelona and Gordon Strike was saying, get Tiger! And he was going, how? <laughs> and I just get the feeling. It won't be to that extreme, but I, I just don't... If they try and do the man-marking thing, I don't think it works. I don't think it works for them against us. Um, but we don't know, and, and you can't be arrogant because you're going to come across a banana skin at some point. Mm-hmm. But on paper, I can't, I can't see any major issues other than the, the plastic pitch for me. Um, and I say that, I'm saying that without being cocky and, and trying to give well, the respect they deserve, but I, I can't see, see any major, major roadblocks. Yeah, it's a it's a strange one because psychologically, I I would not have any concerns going to the newly promoted team in the Scottish top flight, but with it never having been Kilmarnock to my memory before, and this being the first time I can remember them being the newly promoted side, it takes on a slightly different different uh, sort of outlook for me. Um, Alan, 
the, the plastic pitch thing's an interesting point that Brian makes. Uh, that and any other issues you think we might face at, at Rugby Park, or do you think it's something that if we stick to our game, it should be relatively routine for us? It's only plastic, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you got him finally, Brian. He's, he's <laughs> <laughs> well, that, seriously, that, that will be the attitude. Uh, it won't be mentioned. In, I'd be astonished if the boss even mentions the plastic pitch. Yeah. Uh, he's not one for making excuses before the game. Uh, he won't be thinking about it. They've got artificial pitches at Linux Town to, to train on and practice on. I'm sure they're very well-versed in playing on them. There's absolutely no evidence Celtic's results are worse on plastic pitches than they are on grass. Uh, and that's going back over, over years, uh, done that analysis. So, no, that, that that's not an excuse and it's not something that I'm worried about. Um, and, and I completely agree with Brian. You know, McInnes historically will try to go um, man-to-man against Celtic, but and I'm absolutely excited about the prospect of Polworth, Donnelly and Power going man-to-man against our midfield. That will be <laughs> hilarious if, if that's the road he goes down, which makes me think he's not that stupid, McInnes. I'm pretty sure he won't try and do that because that would be madness if he went down that route. Yeah. Um, so, so listen. You know, I, th- I think it's you know we 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 know what we're going to get from Celtic. Uh, we're not going to do anything special or different because it's Kilmarnock. Um, um, you know, Kilmarnock have had a, 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 this was a decent start. I think they they hung on reasonably well. Ibrox, um, they got a draw, salvaged the late draw against Dundee United in their first game. They've got a healthy smattering of very experienced individuals. You know, Ash Taylor's in the team. I mentioned Power. Polworth, you know, they've got, they've got Lafferty, the lad Shaw, you know, you listen, these are all big, tall, tall, powerful players. So, you know, it's going to be free kicks and corners. That's going to be the main the main concern, really. Um, I don't know that they've got anyone that's good at putting a cross in the box. I'm just sort of looking at their lineup. There's a couple of names I don't know, but to be fair, but um, that looks to me as if they've got a lot of heft and not a lot of craft, but uh, I, I remain to be educated on their strengths because obviously I haven't seen them for for, uh, for a season, a lot of heft and not a lot of craft. You sound like my PE teacher, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> I am not going. I am not following that one up. With that said, um, I think we will uh, we'll leave it there. We will be back on Sunday for the match coverage, as always, a 12 o'clock kickoff, a little bit more reasonable time this weekend. Uh, not sure who will be uh, sharing the match coverage, but there will certainly be coverage from uh, the channel on the weekend. Brian, Alan, it's been a pleasure today, as always. Uh, get down that pub, get a few drinks in <laughs> you and stay hydrated on this hottest of days. Thanks very much, everybody, and see you again very soon. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. 
Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash Internet for details. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.